0: Welcome to Causing the Effect, where we will connect and change the mind and body.
1: Yo, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of uh, Causing the Effect. I have one of the the people I looked up to to get me to, to where I am now. Miss uh, Sarah Archer is in the house, and uh, yeah, this hello. one's gonna. <laughs> hey, Sarah! Yeah, me and Sarah have been talking before uh, this, and we're just gonna jump into things that you know, I just want to talk about, so Cobra Kai, um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. My fantasy football team is in first place. And I think it's because I changed the name to Cobra Kai. Um, were you a karate kid fan in the beginning?
0: I was, I was of that generation. So, uh, I was the, you know, watching the original karate kid. And, uh, I love, you know, I loved the metaphors that came from that original show, the whole wax on wax off and, you know, all of that great stuff. But this show, I, I didn't have high hopes at first but I absolutely loved it. It is so cool. And uh, who who you, I love the way they make you root for their one character Johnny. this week and yeah it's really cool. I was
1: always a uh, I'm always a, more the, the the heel the the bad guy anyway. So Johnny was always my man and then the fact that they're making him change a little bit and I think because it started off on YouTube it it was like you know something that people probably thought it was maybe second class, but the acting is great. Um, the themes are great. I feel like they did a nice job at, like, it's almost like a stranger things. Cause it connects to the eighties, but they yeah. did a nice job. Like I really never liked Danny LaRusso. Um, but he was uh, the, the, the acting that, I mean, listen, he could work on his acting, Mr. Uh, the, the, you know, Ralph Macchio, but Johnny's crushing it. Johnny's crushing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, and also just maybe, I don't know quite what's going on with the hair with uh, Ralph Macchio. I can't quite, it's a little distracting yeah. at times, but yeah. uh yeah, it's uh, but I, I love, no, I love the transformation that's going on. Yeah, but, when, uh, that last, cool. uh,
1: no spoilers here, I'm not going to spoil for anybody, but the end of season two is like that whole episode, I knew something bad was happening, and they just did a so, such a good job of getting me so nervous, and it was, it really upset me for like a couple days. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh dear! Yeah, yeah i probably amplified by lockdown and god knows what else is going going oh forget it so, yeah.
1: forget <laughs> it yeah but everybody just so you know sarah is an author a playwright a coach um we we have a lot of similarities and you know check out her um podcast i'll link it below but you know sarah st- start me off I, I know a little bit about where you started but tell tell our listeners how this journey started i want to pick your brain i saw that you performed at the comedy store i just want to i want to talk about everything so just start from the beginning and i'll just i'm gonna pick your brain
0: Okay, so I guess I've always fancied performing, and I, when I was seventeen, I tried to get into drama school, and and they uh, they sent I went to try for RADA, which was which is kind of like the top school, and they they said uh, you need to go and get some life experience, and then I got a job and got on that treadmill of you know work and career and and money, which is kind of like I think in some ways. When you, when you kind of got that creative leaning, it can be a bad thing. But anyway, when I I eventually found my way back to performing, so I'm doing HR, uh, I was married um, at the time, and we had a little, little girl, and we had an evening out, and we went to a comedy club. And in the break, the uh, compere said, Is, uh, does anyone want to try telling a joke? And and I love an audience. I do, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an extrovert. Mm-hmm less of a show off than I used to be but but I always and so I thought oh, I'll I'll give it a go and I was so nervous like super super nervous and uh I got up and I told a joke it wasn't my joke it was somewhere I'd heard and it went really well and people said oh you should you should do you should have a go at this so I signed up for a, a weekend comedy course and this was yeah like I don't know nearly 20 years ago I guess um yeah definitely a long time ago now did it and and then just kind of started doing comedy and you know did some uh, you know competitions and did solo shows at Edinburgh and you know and, and it's so interesting about your comfort zone because I, t- I t- you know teach people comedy as well as m- as well as public speaking and, and other stuff and you know it sounds scary telling that first first joke on that stage I was outside my comfort zone. And you will have experienced this, how your comfort zone grows, you know, to think from that, to be doing an hour long solo show in Edinburgh, um, you know, and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, so, so I ran that alongside my corporate career and then uh, decided that I, you know, sort of 2010, I would leave corporate to, to sort of focus on the comedy and start up a business it's where I could be more creative and completely, cocked it all up um because you know i think in us there was two things that happened really i think i've never really in comedy and you might appreciate this as well find you need to find your persona and it's so important and i think it works in speaking as well and like i i just felt like i didn't i was always trying to find out what that thing was that would make me uh you know you know that was sort of that would help me make it you know a lot of people in in our country they haven't they're from the north so they have an accent or mm. you know they're or if you're you know if you're slightly large you can sort of make jokes that you have there's something and I'm, I'm, the only thing that I had which was a little bit unusual was you know after being married um I I sort of realized that actually I was gay and and so for a while I talked about that but I'm like I can't be bothered you know I just don't want that to be you know, that that to thing. be your your persona, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know it was a little bit unusual, but you know there was a lot of people talking about that. So anyway, so I was slogging around the country doing gigs, you know, and and trying to make this business work. Um, but I I didn't realise that to make business work, and also to an extent, you know, in the comedy, you need to be able to market, you need to be able to sell, and you know, I can I could entertain. I could speak, but I couldn't, and I could coach people because, you know, my background's always I'm a tennis coach as well. So I I knew sort of coaching and NLP and all that stuff. But yeah, I just failed miserably. So I had to go back to corporate with my tail between my legs until 2017. And I learned all about the marketing and the influencing uh, and incorporated that into, you know, into the business stuff when I left corporate in 2017. And I also teach people it because it is, you know, you're always selling whether you know in comedy you're selling a joke in you know in speaking you're selling whatever it is idea change whatever so yeah so a long long story short um that I kind of ditched corporate you know I now do a little bit of comedy but i more write comedy into my plays mm. and my big ambition is to is to own a theater and 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 sort of you know write plays and perform plays because I act as well. I, I do act as well as moments. So, yeah. So that's kind of it really. It's, it's no, a bit all it's, over the place, but you yeah. Know, that's, but that's the journey.
1: I love that. And you know, I like, I liked, I was wondering if you, if you failed, cause I feel like for me, I'm going to have, I'm not good at failing. And for me, I always, st- I always, my whole life, anything, when, anytime something became difficult, I kind of ran away from it. And that was public speaking. So uh, my long story short is, From 14 to this year, I've been detrimentally terrified of public speaking. It was like the biggest fear. It stopped me from progressing in my career and school speech. I would come up with nonsense. And this year, I just wanted to make the year of transformation pre COVID. I didn't know this was going to happen. And I said, I've always wanted to do comedy. So imagine having this earning for creativity, like you said, but you're terrified to be you. And I've been the, um, I spent six years in a hedge fund being Scott the financier making money and proving you know you look on my this the, my personal instagram which i think you you yeah we spoke on it's like who's this douche in a suit and that's been like the persona that i'm kind of ste- stepping into on comedy it's hard to overcome that but um stepping into the, the creative side i like now the challenge I, and i realized that you, you mentioned earlier that that uncomfortability is really where the growth lies and i think oh. that's the that's where people are kind of if you don't get that and I I feel like like an idiot that I found out so late. Like this is how you grow is stepping into that uncomfortability and figuring that out. And I'm sure that's something that you see with your clients all the time, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of when I you know when doing the comedy courses, I'd get corporate people coming in because they wanted to have an experience. But I will say, if you can do five minutes of stand up comedy, no talk is ever going to be an issue for you in any business context or anything else. And and yeah, it is any change any is painful and there's a lot of what I call imagined fear that goes on Mm. with public speaking you know it's not it's not actual fear. it's like it's you you're sort of in the future imagining all the worst possible things that can happen and so I work with people you know I spend even though I coach people to speak and and also sort of do sort of story-led marketing all that all that stuff I spend quite a lot of time working on mindset and limiting beliefs and and all of that stuff because it's it's that stuff that stops us and it, it's so interesting because i i don't know if you've listened to any recent podcasts i've been starting to uh to look at this a little bit more deeply and there's a book that i've i'm in the process of reading called um is uh, by uh, by mark manson um, oh, my goodness, I've just been looking at this. So uh, it's about not giving, I think, it, I can't remember the exact title, and it's just slipped my mind, but about not giving an F. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, I won't swear. I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. mind swearing. But yeah, you know, don't, you know, and, and, and so basically, what he's saying is that we need to have a why that's strong enough for us to achieve something because, and I used to like poo poo this, Oh, find your why you, why this, your why that what's your, why? And, and he kind of reframed that for me a little bit, because whenever you want something like you wanted to do comedy, you wanted to be better at public speaking, there is going to be pain associated with that. There mm-hmm. is going to be discomfort associated with that stepping outside okay. of your comfort zone, failing, um, you know, Edison wanted to do the light bulb. He wanted it so badly, he failed all those times. So you, so he talks about you have to find something that you care about enough to go through the pain of achieving it. It's like some those people that want six, six packs, they're not going to get that unless they're at the gym, you know, doing all the pain of the nutrition. So, so that was kind of, for me, that was, you know, so I really, you know, focus on why people want to do it. Because if that why and, you know, the reason is big enough, then they'll be committed to take action. And as a coach, you want people to to take action and make the transformation because that's, you know, that's my social proof. You know, so I'm invested in it and I care, but they have to care enough to, to step out of that comfort zone and do the work you know so and which you clearly are so congratulations to you thank you
1: yeah i think that's that's kind of why i started this podcast was like it's really everything that you do and you know because i do thursdays will hit fitness but if you don't have the mindset to go along with it yeah. you really can't achieve anything and i think the mark's book a big fan of mark i haven't read that but the subtle art of not giving an f that's um, it that's
0: the it's, title. Oh, God. it's beautiful yeah.
1: it's a beautiful it's, it's a beautiful book and anything you know i'm a i'm on my 30 year tony robbins coaching i think that's what kind of started mm. shifting and that's what i worked on with my coach he, he i always told myself my limb belief was this is the way I am I'm I, when I get on stage I shake I tremble XYZ and just simply shifting that to going I'm basically I'm the shit, and I'm just going to do a small thing and I'd say it took 11 12 times of the open mics to let hit I hit that point where you're in the pocket and you're just connecting and I feel like when you're mm. I'm sure you know you're doing comedy what I'm saying is is su- uh, super super you know it, it, it's it doesn't really matter superfluous. If, if it's superfluous yeah, yeah. exactly it doesn't matter what I say, if I'm in the moment, I can make anything kind of work. And I, right after I did that, I just started crying because I was like, "That is what I wanted." I wasn't shaking, and that first time you have that breakthrough, it's like, okay. Then I, that was like my next level. Um, that yeah. was like my Thanos level of the next, the next yeah. stone, you know. And um, for for me now, it's just about trying to get better. I think for me, again, the mindset piece has just been, "How do you get better? You have to do that work." Yeah. Nobody wants to do so. I'm gonna try. Once we get back to normal, 100 mics, 100 nights. And just get to it because, you know, mimicking, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a, a comedy coach, Jerry Corley. Shout out to Jerry. Great guy. Um, and he said, listen, this is the only way you're going to you're going to really master that. And, and, and the way my coach reframed it was, well, think don't think about the miserable, you know, sitting in the train going back and forth in the cold. Think about where you'll be six months from now this is who you want to be. Right. So that's kind yeah. of, you know, my, my little mindset, but just shifting the, I know you, I know you speak a lot about storytelling and, and even your, your, you know, the last episode that was focused on, on the little bit of this. Um, it's really fun being in this space. i I'm used to corporate hedge fund guys, a little stuffy. And now it's just like you're networking, you're hanging out. We have a show tomorrow. Mark Norman's going to be there. Uh, this is, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I mean, it, one, one of the things that I work on with people, cause I, I like to create what I call authentic speakers because I'm not, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of Toastmasters. I'm not a big fan Mm. of creating these manufactured robot speakers. And to a certain extent, you can get robot comedians as well. They know, and I used to be like that. I used to learn the script. I would you know, do the comedy and I would get laughs, but there was something missing. And an agent pulled me aside after one show and said, Sarah, you've got all of the stuff but you've just got to let go of the script mm. and, and connect, which is what you're talking about be in the moment. Um, and I always used to find comparing because when you're an MC in comedy, you really have to be in the moment and riff. And I always doubted that I had that capability that sort of uh, to be able to do it. But, you know, I, I do have it. It is just, you know, about letting go. And, and one of the things that I coach, people with now is just being authentic yes do the prep you've got to do the prep you've got to you know do that work but when you step on stage you've got to trust yourself and trust that the right words will come and if you can you know be you know see yourself as a vehicle you know in a public speaking context Mm. particularly for the message that you want to get across to the audience or as a comedian you know uh, you know you're the you know sort of in the moment playing the joke out uh, you know, then then it's, it's going to go so much better than if you're, you know, relying on PowerPoint slides or holding onto the script like I did. Um, so that's, you know, that is a massive thing is about letting go and trusting that the right thing will happen and the right thing, the words will come
1: absolutely i think that there's a for me i think just not i never had a never did acting because i was terrified so for me being vulnerable of of the emotions instead of just going out there and saying it kind of given (laughs) being the true me has been the hardest part because when you're vulnerable i think that's what helps you connect with the audience
0: absolutely yeah and people love you know you've only got to look at reality tv to know that people love authenticity you know Mm. um it's a big and you know brene brown did a whole ted talk on you know vulnerability and and you know, Simon Sinek, all of that stuff is all the same stuff. It's about, you know, being in the moment, being present, connecting with people. And, you know, that's that's great. And it's great that you've discovered that so have you found your persona do you think yeah
1: you're still on the Uh, journey i think yeah to be only doing this i think Mm -hmm. i started my first so again i had i had to have uh, my first time on stage was september 30th so i've been doing for two and a half months three months and i think it's going to take some time because i'm still trying Mm -hmm. to figure out who i am and and for me i think i realized that there's a certain look about me when i'm all done up and you know i look more put together than comedians so i kind of have to address that And i just come up and say listen guys i don't look as douchey i'm not as douchey as i look and kind of assessing that it seemed a little harder to get them on my side to begin with and now it's just like okay um, but it's, I think that's the the fun part because there's the persona and the even more interesting thing, thing that uh, I read Judy Carter's book, um, The Truth uh-huh. in Comedy. And she always tells, try to find that blind spot. Every comedian has this blind spot, the piece that they're missing. And I think for me, yeah. that's more of like what – because I want to be authentic about it. But what, that's hard to look at yourself and say, what part am I missing about me that's kind of you know there? And I, I was curious, did you have a blind spot? Is there something that, that changed in your persona as you kind of got – because I've heard comedians tell me three years to find your persona. A five years, 10 years. And it's like, guys, I think if you put the time, seven, at, yeah.
0: Seven, right? Yeah, it's it's I reckon about well, that's what I always seven years. I don't know if I've still found it. I still feel like I I haven't found it. And I guess, mm. you know, it's I don't, I don't I'm a big kid. Like I used to <laughs> say, I've got the mind of a 15-year-old boy trapped inside of like a 49-year-old woman. You know, that is I still crack up at fart jokes. You know, I don't and and I don't know if I've ever managed to get that playful side. Uh, across enough but um, one exercise that I do when I teach comedy is I get before the first week that they come I, I send them an exercise to do and I ask them to stand naked in front of a mirror Ooh. and I ask them to write down everything that they see and and they come and stand in front of the group on that first week and they share with the group what they saw and then the group gives them some honest feedback about what they see in that person and this is all to create that bonding gag you know you talked about the bonding gag so when you step on stage people have a uh, people make assumptions about us all the time from the way that we look and and they're going to have an assumption going on in their head so you have to you know address that in some way uh, and mm-hmm. you know and often when you you don't see the things like you say this blind spot so what when they get that feedback from the group about what they actually you know what the group sees that's often where the the bonding gag comes from because it's almost like a caricature because you yes. want to exaggerate you know what people notice about you um, you know certainly when you're starting off in comedy i think it's more important than when when you're a bit more established you know but you've got to acknowledge that thing that people are going to notice about you because if you don't they'll be thinking it and they won't be they won't connect with you and they won't be concentrating on what you're saying you know so you that's that's about connecting with the audience and getting them on side. So that's a really good exercise for people to find that blind spot. I find it works really well with students to get that that sort of look at themselves from another angle and quite honest. And it can be a bit brutal sometimes. Yeah. But you know, when they do comedy, it, we call it Las Vegas because what stays, you know, what goes on in the room stays in the room. And and it gets to the point where the group are just, You probably experienced this yourself in your comedy uh, courses. You know, you bond as a group because you're having those really vulnerable conversations and you know stepping outside your comfort zone together so I love I love that it's a great exercise yes
1: and that's kind of exactly what happened you kind of earned your stripes because I think the way I come off is is a confident guy and that just being on stage mm. being listen guys you know I really am a mess up here and then I think the guy's opened up to me more because it's like he's not this douchey finance hedge fund guy who thinks he's the shit it's more like he's just trying to figure it out and that's what I tried to to do and there really is that's something about comedy I think it's no matter what comedian you are five years, there's just a connection you have with somebody like, okay, you're fucked up too. And you were trying to like therapize this yeah. a, outside in, in ourselves. Is there um, a, yeah. with the public speaking, is there a um, like a parallel to to getting them on your side? Is it through comedy that you're helping the, oh, the speakers yeah. too?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a big part uh, of what I teach. I, I like to say that stories are, are so powerful in public speaking i I, what i do is i do i have these things called story-led speaking and story-led marketing and and for me stories are the most powerful thing and if you can sprinkle humor into a talk it makes it magical that's the kind of way that i position it so when i coach speakers we always talk about having what i call a lightning bolt opening because um you, you've got to get people's attention and this works in comedy as well. That's exactly, there's a, you know, you've got to have a really strong opening in comedy. Mm. We say put your strongest material at the start and at the end, yep. try out new material in the middle because you've got to get the, you've got to get their attention and, and make it worthwhile. them listening to you. And it's exactly the same in speaking. And, and now I know the science behind that, uh, from all the work that I've done in speaking, which I didn't know when I was doing comedy. So, the the, the the sort of short story is this, that our brains developed in three stages and our our oldest part of our brain is our croc brain. Yep. And it's everything comes to this croc brain. Then we have the middle bit, which is the limbic, and then we have the neocortex. And so the mistake that people make is that they create their talks and to in a certain extent comedy as well, because some of my jokes were too clever. You know, that was, you know, I, and they didn't work because I wrote them with my neocortex. But when I talk to an audience, all that information is going through this croc brain, which is the fight or flight. And it has three programs running. It is is it dangerous? Is it new? Is it complicated? And so if it's dangerous, if it's not dangerous, the croc brain will ignore it. If it's not new and exciting, the croc brain will ignore it. And if it's complicated, it will make it simple and then shift it up. So you've got to do something when you're pitching. A networking event, when you're on stage speaking, when you're at a comedy gig performing to get the attention of that croc brain. And so that's why that first piece is so important. So when I'm coaching speakers, I'll talk about having a lightning bolt opening, which is something that is going to, it's got to shock. That's why I call it that. It's got to shock them out of, you know, fiddling about with their iPhone or talking to the person next to them or daydreaming because you've got to get them to lean in right at the start. Mm. So that could be a really a question that's you know relevant or a shocking provocative statement or silence or a funny video or a joke something that is going to get them to say what hold what hold on a second what was that um and lean in. So yeah, so there's there's lots of parallels between speaking and comedy because at the, at the bottom line in comedy, you've got to engage your audience and keep them engaged and get them to like you. In speaking, you've got to engage your audience, keep them engaged, get them to like you. Uh, the difference, you know, is that in speaking, you've got to get them to take action at the end. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to get them to, you know, buy into your idea, buy your stuff, buy your book, buy into change whereas in comedy you need to get them to laugh mm-hmm. which you know there's they're comparably hard but yeah comparatively hard but yeah so hope that answered your question there's oh yeah
1: no absolutely it's such an interesting is it the same writing style for you are you trying when you're doing comedy are you writing an idea and then throwing in the laughs and then similarly do you coach that on the the, the speaking that that maybe not laughing points but like important topics is it, is it a similar writing process or are they two different things
0: um i think there's there are a lot of similarities I think putting a talk together. So I love, I use mind maps for, for both things. My maps but are great. Yeah. Okay. So, so I have a whole process of putting a talk together, which is, which is mind map based to start, start office. It fits within a particular framework, but the difference uh, between, and, and I guess what I would say to, to my students in, in speaking is that you've got to find an angle. So, you know, when you're talking about something complex or you want someone to, you know, to, to remember it, or if you're telling a story, using metaphors and similes, analogies to make things sticky is in a in a way similar to to comedy. You can be more surreal in comedy. So I would get them to sit down and you know it's also also very important in storytelling and speaking is being specific and the comedy is in the detail in comedy Mm -hmm. it's the details are also important in storytelling for speaking because you're if you can give people details they will shift themselves into the story because they'll you know if you describe how the floorboard squeaked if you describe how you felt you know like your, your heart was beating out of your chest rather than just saying I'm scared you know it's in comedy we have show don't tell in speaking it's just as important to show um, so it's there's there's more you know there's different things, but there's a lot of similarities. so storytelling is is so important and the and the exercise of creating uh I have this thing called a kinda like bridge, which is you know when you've got something com- c- uh, complicated, if you can find something that it's kinda like in people's everyday lives to make it relatable. and then if you can then sort of sprinkle some comedy exaggeration or perhaps, you know uh, with this technique we use the rule of three so it's kind of like but ba. Yeah, yeah the three-way yeah, build-up three. sure sure yeah absolutely. so which is like you know the reason that it's called for, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know this the reason it's called the com- comedians are very much like magicians we use the art of misdirection yep. uh, and so we have it takes the reason it's called the rule of three is because it takes two things to make a pattern so you want to to sh- sort of your audience to go down the path of believing that the third thing is going to follow onto that pattern and it kind of fits but it doesn't and so it's that surprise that causes them to laugh so yeah so all of the comedy techniques I sprinkle into into you know my speaking coaching because I think if you can make people laugh not only does it you know it gets them on side but it makes what you're saying more memorable so but there's even in stories there's so much crossover it's uh it's really a lot.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and for me, I focus on, I believe there, there's like nine to 10 psychological laugh triggers. There's incongruity, there's surprise, there's, and I'm always like into, I look at it from that end, because I think in the end, the persona that we're talking about. I'm sure you feel the same way. As I, I, I don't just want to be a joke teller. I don't just want to make a, a sex joke or a, or a dick joke or this no. or that. I really want to, and I, I, was, I was curious about you because what you do is mindset driven. Have you ever done like a comedy show and been able to actually sprinkle this knowledge in? Because I've had this like epiphany a couple of times, like you should try to do this. And I know I feel like my skill set, you have to really be skilled. Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, Jamie Foxx. These guys know what they're doing and they're able to do it so eloquently. Have you ever attempted this? How has this been? Is this where you want to be?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because I think, you know, I can't, One my whole, I've been focusing a lot on what drives me and it is to create epiphanies for people in in whether I'm working with someone, doing their coaching to sort of see new possibilities or whether I'm writing a play and my first two comedy shows or the two that I did, the first one was called Bum fluff and Brimstone and it was all about my life, how I something had happened and I'd made it mean something about me. And this is a big thing that humans do. we, we, we tell story you know something happens, someone says something to us, we read a whole lot of stuff into it and make it mean something about us. Mm-hmm. So the whole first show was about that. And I don't, I think I probably was not experienced enough to get that right. It it was okay. The second show was called Constant Craving. And it was how my life, you know, how material things don't mean a lot. At the end of the day, when when you're sitting there and, you know, uh, death's there coming to get you, you're not going to say, oh, I wish I'd got that iPad, you know. And that was kind of like, so yes, I do. For me, I wanted to make people laugh but make people think as well and maybe look at things differently and then the plays that I write uh, now I, I kind of do it through that because um, yeah it's I don't know So it's, it's I don't want to be schlepping around the country till two in the morning doing this I, I you know I and I love the theater so I it's you know it's for me that's a new way of doing it that I I prefer, but I still do comedy occasionally, but not, not so much these days, but yeah, I did. I did. I don't think I did it very well, but I did. No,
1: that's great. Cause I, yeah. And again, I, I understand like, this is this whole art thing is just so new to me that I try, I just want to get, be funny first. And then, cause I feel like, especially in comedy, it's like, if you could connect with people in a five minute, you know, bit, you, you could probably, there's some acting there, obviously. So you're kind of learning, oh, yeah. you're learning an acting skill as you do this. And for me, I was curious to, I guess, more on the comedy clients or even the the, the speaking clients. We spoke about repping. Uh, obviously you have to rep them th- through, know your stuff. What are some other tools that you give to, to them that really make that click with the mindset piece? How do they make that jump? Is it sto- storytelling for them? Is it getting them to a, another kind of that, energized state? What is the biggest thing that, that you see that, that really helps people
0: change? So, I mean, there's two things. So I, at the moment I run this thing called the, the five day snackable story challenge. So I take people over the course of five days and I get them from being scared of speaking. Uh, and it's, it's completely free as well. They, they're scared of speaking. They don't think they've got anything interesting to say, or they're worried that they're boring people. And at the end of the five days, they do a video where they're telling an authentic story that from their life, and they can see how stories in their life, um, and they use some of these tools, the metaphors, the similes, some humor, uh, and and they tell that story. So, but one of the big things is it comes back to this, uh, what I call an about me mindset. If you go on stage, and all you're thinking about is yourself, then you know and worrying about what people think of you that is if if you're if you're if you're a speaker and you've got a mission it's like it's self like it's selfish Mm -hmm. you're there for the audience and you're there it comes back to that vehicle thing you're there to share your message you're there to make people laugh if you make it about you that's where all the problems that's where you take your critic you know I have this thing about creator critic too that's when you're taking your critic on stage with you and your critic is saying, I don't think that person, I think they're thinking about you and you just start second guessing yourself. So if you can lose what I call the about me mindset and make it about, you know, as soon as you step on stage, you leave the critic off, make it about the audience and the message that you want to share and where you want to get them to. It seems to shift people when I work with them and I put it in that way. Um, And that's what I hate about, you know, I don't want to sort of, you know, Toastmasters is great for getting people speaking, but it's also crap because they have someone there counting your ums and ahs exactly. and it puts people off. And I worked with a student, she told me, you know, she actually went on stage and she was counting the ums and ahs. And I'm like, uh, yeah, how can you be present if you're in your head? counting the ums and ahs you know so you're completely disconnected from the audience and as I always say some of the best speakers with the best TED Talks ever something like Sir Ken Robinson who's got like I think the most popular TED Talk ever he has something like 15 ums and ahs in the first two minutes you know so it's not what is important is getting the message across is making people laugh and being in the moment and it's kind of like you know, when you we do an exercise in a comedy course as well, where we we absolutely exaggerate um, an emotion. So we'll give we'll give a we'll split into two groups and then we'll give one group a word like love or hate or anger or jealousy or lust. Mm-hmm. And the one group has to perform that word to the other group and every time they do it i i clap and they have to take it up another notch and they have to take it up another notch until it becomes ridiculous and but it's interesting because when you watch great actors uh, great comedians they don't mind making a tit of themselves they don't mind the snot coming down their nose when they're crying you know mm-hmm. and and they like as soon as you commit and and go all in and don't worry about what people think about you, that is when you you know, you're doing, you're, you're doing the right stuff really. So that's, I hope that answers your question.
1: Yes, no, it definitely, it definitely does. And for me that the best time on stage is when I was fully in the moment and and just not where, uh, you know, I think the, the biggest fear for some people like, like me that are always had the big stage fright is back to the mammalian brain, right? The croc brain it's yeah it's, you're scared about what people think because back in the day when there was a hundred hunter gatherers in your group, if somebody didn't like you, you would get killed. And now it's just something that we don't need (laughs) anymore. And when you get over that, um, it's just and it, it's very momentous right once you do it once you, you start off that way it just kind of goos, it just yeah. it just comes out of you and it was so cool I was yeah. like this is this is the light at the tunnel for me and obviously i think you know I'm sure you know how many times how, how long did it take you to get that comfortable on stage in the moment every, every time, 50, 60 times, something like that, or was it? Yeah,
0: loads, you know, and it, it, and it's still, I have my challenges today. I don't think it ever leaves you. I think I reframe it as well as uh, any sort of performance anxieties about you performing at peak, but Mm -hmm. as soon as you start, it kind of, it kind of goes. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really, it's really interesting, but I think that, you know, one thing I do say to people, I will never be able, you know, no matter how much speaking you do, how much comedy you do, you'll never stop people judging you. You'll never, like, there's nothing I can teach you that will stop people judging you. But, like, that's not important. You know, that's their baggage. That's their stuff. You've got to be, you know, if it's important enough for you to do this, then you've got to forget about that and just, you know, just go all in. Um, And it is sticking your head above the parapet, you know. But, you know, back to what we said at the start from, and if it's important enough to you, then you'll you'll carry on doing it. And but also in a marketing context, um, I think it's really important that you recognise that whilst there are people out there that will, you know, judge you or dislike you, equally there'll be people that love you. And you know, when you start, you'll experience this if you haven't already. When you start off in comedy, you're going to bars and clubs where there's a whole range of people that will like a storyteller someone else will like someone who does puns you know there is a whole range of people and they like what they like and they won't some of them won't like you or they won't like your jokes or your style or your persona or your genre whatever it is but that's fine you know and we see these guys that are at the top of their game doing Netflix specials. But that's because all the audience are there because they like that person and they've got to the point where their stuff is known. So you've just got to, you know, you need to be polarizing because if you're not polarizing, if you're in that wishy-washy middle, whether you're speaking, marketing, you know, uh, telling jokes, people are going to forget you. And I think that was probably my problem that when I was Mm. doing comedy is wanting to be liked too much um and not wanting to you know to to be that polarizing character but that you've just got to accept that you know but that's the only way you'll stand out is if you have an opinion and you care about something enough to be polarizing about it so yeah it's, it's really interesting
1: yeah i think you gotta have uh you gotta have a lot of thick skin and i think that's what like the fun part of it for me is you know starting off in new york um, we did in Brooklyn and you're, you know, only open mics for me by this point. I really want to perfect the craft, but the owner was telling me, he's like, Scott, you're going to get less laughs. Obviously when you're doing it for comedians, who really don't want you to do well. Oh. So like expect when you do a show, you'll get, I was like, Oh really? Like this gets easier. Like, thank, thank God. Cause I, I think that's the other piece you mentioned. Like you see a guy like Bill Burr or Dave Chappelle, they've gone through that 150 times. They know when the laughs are going to come at a piece. And that's like, it's such a, it's the only art form where you get. I need somebody to laugh or not laugh for me to get the feedback. It's such an interesting thing that yeah. it's this little, uh this little dance that you're doing. And it's almost, it's funny. Cause like we said, you want to get them on your team, but at the same time, it's almost like I, I saw Jerry Seinfeld. I was watching a clip on him. He just comparing it to war. Like no matter yeah. which side, no matter if, if you may not like me to start, but in the end you're going to end up liking me and being on my side. Now I'm not as cocky as, you know, Seinfeld could be not yet at least, but um, yeah, this whole—I th- don't think there's another art form like it, and you know, public yeah. speaking similar, but I think yeah. you know, it's it's just a really cool thing.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's so funny. Cause when you start, I remember when I started out and even you know, along the way, you to some gigs. Well, they'll have gigs in comedy where they like bring a friend gigs or it's bringers, just, you know, yep. you turn, you, yeah, the bringers. And then you, you also, there's these gigs where you turn up, especially for open spots and it'd be you and a bunch of comedians. And, and the two things that are happening there is the comics are worrying about doing it their own gigs. Yep. So they're not really paying attention to you or they're in their heads. Um, And the other thing is that the more you do comedy, the harder it is to to laugh at stuff. So when I hear a joke, I'm deconstructing it because I know how jokes work. So Mm -hmm. it's really hard to make me laugh. Um, So, you know, so you go into that environment and people aren't laughing and it's not in that environment. It's not a reflection on you necessarily. And that's why you've got to try out jokes a few times. Um, And the other important thing to say is that... um, and it's the same with speaking uh and you were talking about how they know their material and they know when they're going to get laughs and then this is something for you to take away is and you probably already know this is you've got to practice it so much that you go through being bored with your material and get out the other side so it feels almost like it's so natural and you know and in comedy it's fine to exaggerate in comedy it's fine to have like a million dead uncles or grandparents you know it's comedy so they're kind of no rules you know so but some comics get to the point where they actually believe some of the stuff
1: that mm-hmm. they talk
0: about has happened to them when it did it you know it gets to the point where you're it's like a memory so you, that's where you're performing it and living it like you were telling a story down the pub you know exactly. so that's where you kind of yeah. get to
1: and I feel like that's, that's when you're in the moment, right? Cause you're basically on yeah. autopilot here doing this and I could look yeah. at you. I could laugh. I could do a little, you know, something with my fit. It's really uh, yeah. Tomorrow yeah. they um, New York, you know, you can't do stuff indoors, but it's an outdoor te- It's Uh, they're doing some outdoor Mark Norman's uh, going to lead it. My, one of my favorite comedians. And, um, one of these, one of the openers there he opened for Schultz here is a good kid. He just said, Scott have five minutes right tomorrow, just in case. And I was like, Oh God, oh, Re- cool. real people. I'm freaking out a little bit, Sarah. That's what I'm, 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 I'm very freaky at today <laughs> but yeah. you know i think you, it's you, about the mindset yeah that's yeah. How i'm just gonna go and just you know it's nothing that's the only way i, c- I could really do it because um this this would be the first real show and they're supposed to be you know i i uh, we did it at a place called eastville you could fit 25 people and i was like okay 25 i saw what it's like and then in the tent they said they could fit 200 people and i'm like oh brilliant. boy brilliant for you it's gonna H- how would you coach me sarah right now so, what Would you tell well, me
0: to- so I would say, first of all, 200 people is better than 25 uh, because, right. uh, you know, I think it's easier to make a bigger crowd laugh. Um, I would say completely detached from the outcome. So what you're going to start worrying about is, you know, future-based future, future based or, you know, you'll start thinking about past times when you maybe crashed or future, like, will they laugh? You've just yep. got to go up there, detach from the outcome and, and have fun. And just like, it's, you know, what's the worst, I would say, what is the worst that can happen? So when I'm, I have a whole podcast episode on this, but when I talk to my comics, I'm like, you need to put this in perspective. You know, there are people in war-torn countries you know, worrying about bombs falling at them and you're going on stage for five minutes, you know, take a pill pill. <laughs> you know, it's been a tough love, you know. Get, you know, this is like third, you know, first world problems, people. Sure, so, um, you know, sure. so w- what's the worst that can happen? And you, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, with an NLP hat on, there's no failure, there's only feedback. And you've got to, this is, you know, if you were, a com- you know, accomplished, perfect comedian, you know, no one ever gets there, by the way. But, you know it's an opportunity to, for you to see what works and what doesn't work and you'll always learn and grow from the experience whether it whether you bomb or whether you you have a great gig um, so I would just say just go out with a, a learning mindset uh, mm-hmm. detach from the outcome and you know just sort of put it in in context it's a gig and, and and people you know just have fun and the more you know fun you have the more you sort of see it as a learning uh experience rather than you know it, it you, you'll just have fun have fun with it yeah. and that'd be the best advice i can give
1: exactly it. no thank you for that yeah i, I tried to do um you know like i said the tony robbins stuff they, they put you you know i have a certain st- um i guess a certain place that i go and i have my little triad and i listen to my yeah. motivation then i just go okay and m- m- for me it's um it's taking the pressure, removing the pressure and just being in harmony exactly. with myself. That's like the best part for me. And I can just kind of yeah. get you chill. And, and it's funny. My, my, my girl's been helping. She's been very supportive. Shout out to Jessica. She's been buying me the time, the, the original forms of the Marvel infinity stones as I grow. So like oh. when I, when I did look, I, I brought up to show you, and When I got my first one on stage. I got my power stone. And now that oh, I, now did. I have my podcast and I could do it. She got me this one for Christmas. This is nice. It's the, the, uh, the time stone from, from Dr. Strange. Oh, and I got wow. the other one here. So she said after i get this one you'll you after you do your real show you'll have the reality stone after that and then i can get that so i'm leveling up my <laughs> thanos level this that. is that's how big my ego is i think i'm that so She was like this, <laughs> this is perfect for you
0: <laughs> it, it is it is really interesting because you do have to have whilst you got to detach from the the outcome and you you know you see it as a learning experience you got to believe in yourself as well right. that is the other thing you know because right. yeah you know, you've got to look at people like Matthew McConaughey, and yeah, he he put on a list when he was really young. I'm going to collect an Oscar. So you've got to have that mix of self belief that you can do this, and that, and it comes back to you wanting it and not having doubt about it. But also, you know, detaching. It's a real conundrum because you've got to want it, but you've not got to, you're not going to want it bad enough that it cocks up your performance. You know, so you've got to want it, but it's kind of like one of my coaches talks about, you know, you know, doing stuff which would really freak people out. Like when you launch a product, uh, you know, a course or whatever, and it's a million pound launch, it's just like he's going to the fridge to get a a Coke, you know, whatever it's, it's wanting it, but completely taking all of the um, pressure off and detaching from the outcome. All of the significance is is gone for him. And when you can get to that level, yeah, it's, it's the best way to be. Yes,
1: and Matt McConaughey is a perfect example because he, he's one of my favorite actors and in Interstellar that, you know, I, I love. There's the scene in Interstellar. I don't know how familiar you are there. he starts crying when he's watching his kids. And I was watching him. He said that the first cut he he hit that perfectly and they weren't even filming he went he was just feeling it and he went to the director and he, he just clicked him he told him let's go, just put it on and he hit it one shot and it's like the most beautiful i still i could still cry to that scene and it's just yeah. the, the energy the emotion the confidence is there and i think you know he got all figured out man he's too you know he's a good yeah. example but <laughs> definitely um, definitely. but it's really cool. yeah he, he's he's the man so what do you have uh coming up any any uh any g- good shows coming up or how, how's it looking in england now like what's the situation
0: oh uh, yeah we're it, it's everything's kind of locked down at locked the moment down. so um when when it started i i was doing some i was actually sort of hosting some comedy gigs for for comics and sort of producing gigs um last year and we i just felt in in sort of march when things closed down here i felt so so bad for the comics that they lost everything pretty much overnight uh all of their income that i started an online comedy gig back in march and we ran that just completely we just cover costs and anything the comics made they took away but that was that was good for a while but it got to the point where there's kind of saturation you know we called it couch comedy live and stuff and Mm -hmm. and there's so much now that it's almost it's it's it didn't it sort of didn't really work out um but we we are planning for may next year to to start up our own theater company and and uh, i'm currently writing a play for that and and we're going we're definitely we was due to go to edinburgh to perform in someone else's play this year but that got cancelled so i think the plan is still to go to edinburgh next year and um, I think I'm playing Shakespeare's wife in a in a comedy uh, yeah. drama uh, next year, but well, fingers crossed. But yeah, lots of plans. But it's just like yeah, it's frustrating that. You, so I got my podcast. I love doing that. I love coaching. That's perform. You know, when I speak and when I sure. do workshops, in a way that's for me performing and. And sharing stories. So I love that. But uh, in the meantime, you know, while we're waiting for everything to get back up and running, that's kind of what I can hold on to, if you like. Yeah.
1: And I could tell you that, you know, you connected with me. So I, I really appreciate, you know, your podcast. It's called Speaking Thanks, Speaking Scott. Speaking the Speaking Club, right? I'm saying it. The Speaking it, Club. The yeah. Speaking Club. Yeah, yeah, and I will I'll link that down here below. But um yeah, I would love to come on again, please. Whenever, you know, if you when you have your shows <laughs> out there you. in uh whenever things come back normal, I'd love to come see it. Cool. Uh you've been an inspiration to me. Thank you so much for coming Thank on you, Scott. And for the for everything. Appreciate I really appreciate it, it Sarah.
0: You, no worries. Thank you, Scott. Lovely to meet you and to talk to you. And good luck with your gig tomorrow.
1: Thank you. Yes, everybody. If, uh, you know, who's listening, you know, who's coming tomorrow. Check, check, check us out tomorrow. Eastville comedy. Uh, everybody, uh, just leave a like review, subscribe, all that good stuff that, uh, we know you're doing. I think telling your friends is the best thing, right? So I feel like that's the easiest way. Just people telling each other, talking about it. These are things yeah. that, um, I think in, in any sense, you no, know, the mindset shift could always, um, is always useful. So, uh, as always yeah. stay safe, stay positive, stay blessed guys. Bye-bye.